So the United States and maybe other governments have a secret base on the planet Mars, which they may or may not share with aliens. This base is there, but also not there because it might only exist in the future. And yet, personnel, including a young Barack Obama, are regularly assigned to work there thanks to advanced time travel technology. Or maybe it's transdimensional technology. Anyway, we know about this thanks to a few brave whistleblowers who have decided to come clean about their time with Project Pegasus. Now, the sources for this wild tale are multifarious, often poorly written and organized, and almost certainly not fact-checked in any meaningful way. So please bear with me as I try and tease out the threads about Project, Project Pegasus, Pegasus, Mars and, and beyond. beyond. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast, and if you like what we do, donate via our Buy Me A Coffee page. You can also review us here or on IMDb. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. In the year 2525, as a 1969 song by Zager and Evans that I just loved when I was a kid. A man named Michael McIntosh was talking to Apex TV in 2019 when he told them he'd been part of something called Project Pegasus when he was five years old. You see, he traveled through time and also to Mars with a then young Barack Obama who was also part of this secret program. McIntosh also has several psychic abilities, thanks to this secret government program, and he used the technology he calls chronovision that lets him peer into both the past and the future. This sure sounds like a mashup of Stranger Things, the Vatican chronovisor legend talked about in a previous episode about time travel, and a smattering of New Age hokum. McIntosh is just the latest of the self-proclaimed Project Pegasus whistleblowers. This conspiracy theory really starts off in 2011 with a man named Andrew Bishago, an attorney in the city of Vancouver, Washington, just across the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon. He seemed a normal enough guy, a successful, even respected lawyer, but he soon became the point zero for the Project Pegasus narrative, the first in a series of supposed whistleblowers. But before this, he started writing so-called academic papers to the National Geographic Society about things that he thought he saw in photographs from the surface of Mars, things like buildings and forests and animals and aliens. The National Geographic Society told him, no, those things are not in the pictures that he's referencing, but he continued to write them about it anyway. But then in 2011, he decided to change tactics and started calling up George Nouri on Coast to Coast AM, who he'd taken over from Art Bell, saying that he had been part of a secret DARPA program in the 70s codenamed Project Pegasus that used technology first invented by Nikola Tesla. This technology experimented with teleportation and time travel. While part of Project Pegasus, he had been sent to a secret U.S. base on Mars and in the 1980s became the human ambassador to aliens living there. Note, this of course is at odds with his findings that he kept sending into the National Geographic saying that he'd recently discovered life on Mars. So which is it, pal? Did you hang out with aliens on Mars in the 80s? Or now in the first decade of the 21st century, are you discovering that Mars has proof of life? Anyway, one of his fellow chrononauts, as they're called, was a man who went by the name of Barry Sotero. 
but this was actually Barack Barry Obama. Regina Dugan, who ended up running DARPA from 2009 to 2012, had also been a chrononaut. Bishago knows the government covered up Obama's involvement, but he wants the truth finally to be set free. So he set up a group, which he also calls Project Pegasus, devoted to lobbying the government to release all they know about teleportation and time travel. Remember, this is all during Barack Obama's presidency, so he kind of thought maybe Barry would go along with it and spill the beans to the public. Bashago also ran for president in 2016 and again in 2020. During his 2016 campaign, he promised not only to reveal everything he could about the secret Mars project, but also to restore Microsoft Word to its 2003 version, which he said was by far the very best one. While part of Project Pegasus, the government version, he'd done some serious time traveling. He went back or looked back into 1 million BCE, seeing dinosaurs firsthand. He went to hear Abraham Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address in 1863. He's even in a photo from the time in the crowd there. And he personally witnessed Lincoln's assassination five or six times. Using the chronovision technology that was also developed, he saw the crucifixion of Jesus and the 9-11 attacks in New York City. He also saw the U.S. Supreme Court building underwater on a trip he took to 2013, which of course we now know did not happen. But that's okay because you see, when you travel forward in time, you travel forward to a potential future, one that might be substantiated, but then again, might not be depending on actions taken now. One crazy aspect of this crazy story is that Bashago apparently had forgotten all of this. Despite his active, some might say overactive participation in Project Pegasus in his youth, he didn't remember any of these amazing things he'd been part of or seen until he started undergoing regressive therapy to recover his memories. This therapy started in the late 90s. You see, the Pegasus Project bosses had blocked his memories using certain drugs, response conditioning, kind of like uh, what you see in A Clockwork Orange, and hypnosis. But all these memories started coming flooding back when he actively sought a remedy to these weird blank spots he had in his memory. And after a while, he learned that he had risen very high in the Project Pegasus hierarchy and learned much of its history. You see, Pegasus had started in 1969 as an ARPA program, that's what DARPA used to be called, to use remote viewing techniques for espionage purposes. This would later turn into Project Stargate. But then they added teleportation to their brief, and in fact, Bashago was one of the very first children ever to be teleported back when he was eight years old as part of a group of 140 American school children. It had been his father, who'd already been part of the program, who had recommended him because Andrew Brishago was a special child. In fact, he was one of the very first indigo children to be born here on Earth because, of course, he was. Turns out he'd been exceptionally good at teleporting and bounced back and forth between New Jersey and New Mexico several times. But then one day he also teleported into the future, first to the year 1991, then to the year 2045, which is when he saw a Stargate at a military base in Los Cerrillos, New Mexico, a dinky little place halfway between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. He then started spending what he called Phantom Summers, in which he would work on time and space teleportation experiments. Then at the end of the three-month period, he would teleport back to the very first day of summer and do it all again. It's all very Groundhog Day. And he did this four times. His father was also teleporting around, seeing future events, and giving reports to high-ranking members in the executive branch. However, again, remember that when you teleport to the future or use the chronovisor to view the future, you're only seeing possible futures. But still, good intelligence to know nonetheless. Weirdly, the web domain for Bashago's Project Pegasus website is now for a contemporary art painting site that contains some lorem ipsum text and a couple of nice pictures. 
All of this seems rather appropriate since this whole fanciful tale feels a little bit like an art project, similar to the Ong's Hat or John Titor projects, both of which were talked about in previous episodes. And it's also a little bit funny since Bishago once said that the entire literary genre of science fiction was cooked up by American intelligence groups as cover for technologies that they were really working on. And so therefore, if there was ever a leak, they just say, oh, that's just science fiction. They would also sometimes leak projects in the works to writers to include in fictions as sort of a pre-damage control. And then this continued into filmed entertainment as well. For example, When the TV show Star Trek came out in the late 60s, they planted the idea of the transporter into Gene Roddenberry's mind because they were actually working on such a device. And you'll know that Project Pegasus really started getting going in the summer of 69 and Star Trek got canceled with its last episode airing on June 3rd, 1969. Coincidence? Hardly. As a historical note, I should mention that the first appearance of the term Project Pegasus actually comes from the comic book Marvel 2-in-1, issue 42, published in 1978, where Pegasus is an acronym for Potential Energy Group, Alternate Sources, United States. In the comic, it starts off as a research facility in the Adirondack Mountains in New York State, but later becomes a prison for enhanced individuals with energy-based superpowers. A supermax for super types, if you will. It may also be noteworthy that in 1977, a British TV mockumentary called Alternative 3 aired. It was supposed to come out on April Fool's Day, but ended up getting delayed until June. It starts off purporting to investigate a sort of brain drain of physicists and other important people, engineers, astronomers, and so on and ends up uncovering the truth, which is that the Earth is falling apart because of climate change and pollution and soon will be uninhabitable. And so worthwhile people are being sent away to Mars, where a secret base has been built. The whole thing was done to look like a serious documentary, and in 1978, it was turned into a novel by Leslie Watkins. It only aired the one time on British television, but later showed up as a sort of hoax on Canadian, Australian, and New Zealand television. Music was done by Brian Eno, some of which would later be incorporated into his album Music for Films. Commentators of the day compared it to the Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast, which also took a realistic-seeming documentary approach to an obviously fictional event. The novelization did moderately well, but then the whole thing sort of just fell away into obscurity. Though in 1994, Jim Keith, who writes a bunch of stuff about the men in black and mind control and black helicopters, wrote a book called Casebook on Alternative 3, UFOs, Secret Societies, and World Control, in which he claimed that some of the things in this novel and this mockumentary were in fact true. It is entirely possible that that comic book that mentions Project Pegasus and this mockumentary and later novel from 1977-78 are what in fact inspired Bashago and the other people who call themselves whistleblowers to come up with this outlandish Project Pegasus narrative. Another guy named William Stillings, who's a friend of Bashago's, says that he was also part of Project Pegasus. He says the Mars Project was run by Ed Dames of remote viewing fame out of what he calls a jump room at the College of the Siskiyous up in Northern California near Mount Shasta and the towns of Wairika and Weed. Yes, those are actually the names of the towns. However, there were some troubles. Out of almost 100,000 people sent to Mars as part of a colonization effort, only 7,000 survived. As one trainer told them before a mission, quote, your job is to be seen and not eaten. So clearly, this was not for the faint-hearted. Now, Ed Dames, who became well-known because of Project Stargate, which we'll talk about in a future episode, denies this, saying that in 1980, he was on the German-Czechoslovak border working as an electronic warfare officer. He also says that, by the way, this whole Project Pegasus thing is a myth concocted by people who want to sound important. 
Project Stargate, however, which was a DIA army unit investigating psychic phenomenon and remote viewing, wasn't a real thing, and Dames really did work on that. Stilling says he also saw Barack Obama using the name Barry Sotero in the jump room on Mars, staring out a window into a Martian ravine as if lost in thought. Another guy he saw on Mars was Courtney Hunt. This fellow is one of 15 children issuing from Texas oilman and bigamist Haroldson Lafayette Hunt Jr., also sometimes just known as H.L., this is the man who, in the 1950s, was so rich that J. Paul Getty once said, quote, In terms of extraordinary independent wealth, there is only one man, H.L. Hunt. It is said that the character of J.R. and indeed many of the events included in the TV show Dallas are based on H.L. Hunt and his life. One of H.L.'s many sons was Lamar Hunt, who would become big in sports, helping found both the American Football League, Major League Soccer, and World Championship Tennis. He started the Kansas City Chiefs, and when the AFL and the NFL merged in 1966, they agreed to have a championship match, which Lamar Hunt jokingly called a Super Bowl. And of course, this is the name that would eventually get attached to the annual sporting event. There's a weird and wild article on the sports website that claims to investigate evidence that many sports stadiums in the U.S. are being used as portals or gates to Mars. I can't tell if this is a joke article or not. Some of the evidence presented is that Crew Stadium, today called Lower.com Field in Columbus, Ohio, which Lamar helped pay for with his own money, shows a big eye in some of its landscaping when seen from the air. And speculation there is that there's some sort of high-energy installation located beneath it. This is one indication that the whole teleporting to Mars thing is part of a larger project being run by the Illuminati. Because people continue to mistake the Eye of Providence, which is a Freemason symbol, with the Illuminati. Another of H.L.'s sons, however, was Courtney Hunt. This Hunt joined the CIA and was supposedly actively involved in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And then he got into Project Pegasus, where he was seen on Mars by William Stillings. And then a third guy showed up on the web named Bernard Mendez, who, in addition to having once been a, quote, special assistant, he says, to President Nixon and a federal investigator, he says, he was also a chrononaut zipping in and out of the Mars jump room, though he's unsure if they were teleported to Mars itself or what he calls an SQE or synthetic quantum environment, a fold in the time-space continuum in which the gray extraterrestrials have established an artificial holographic planetary domain. Maybe it was both an SQE and Mars. You see, Mendez thinks that the time teleportation tech used in the Martian jump rooms, which was given to us by some gray aliens, is sometimes interfered with by the aliens, diverting the traveler to a micro-universe, a sort of bubble of space-time that they can control for their own mysterious purposes. You're never really sure once you use their transporters whether or not you've been actually moved to a real place or not. So, when this Michael McIntosh fellow I mentioned at the very beginning showed up a couple of years ago, he clearly was trying to piggyback on this whole thing. McIntosh says, all of them were in an underground cavern on Mars and then used remote viewing techniques to see what was happening on the surface, not just at the actual time they were at, but in all points in time, because apparently remote viewing techniques also allow you to see into the past and the future. McIntosh is also running for president in 2024, and he says that he knows for a fact that he wins the election. He also says there's a moon base people will be able to visit in 2025 and that in 2026 prosthetic hands that are basically robotic come onto the market and also in 2026 most diseases will be cured and we will be able to 3d print body parts and organs here's hoping right because all that stuff sounds pretty cool is there life on mars a 1971 song by david bowie now, there's also Michael Relfe, whose wife Stephanie wrote a book in 2000 called The Mars Record, 
which claims to be, quote, the original Mars whistleblower. You see, Stephanie is skilled in the use of biofeedback meters to recover lost memories, which is totally a real thing and not pseudomedicine at all. Together, the couple discovered that Michael had been recruited for a time travel project back in 1976 when he was serving in the U.S. Navy. He ended up going to Mars, but in the future, where he spent 20 years helping expand and maintain a secret military base there, a base that exists not now, but in the future on Mars. And occasionally, this base is visited by high-ranking military personnel and politicians. As part of his training, which partly involved hypno-programming, which is totally a real thing and not pseudomedicine at all, he learned to increase his natural psychic abilities and also to travel in time using implants that I presume are at least partly alien technology. He and others participating in this program would work for 20 years, then they would be age-reversed, which is totally a real thing and not science fiction, have their memories blocked, and then sent back to 1976. This was a process known as 20 and back. Michael continued serving normally after that 20-year and then back experience in the Navy until 1983. Apparently, there are some aliens hanging around on Mars, notably the Greys and some reptilians. They're stationed at the secret base with many of the Greys acting as either technical or medical staff, but the Draconians, which is the reptilians, often hide their appearance, so it's hard to determine who is and is not a reptile and what exactly they were up to. Arthur Neumann is a physicist at Lawrence Livermore Labs in Northern California. In 2006, he quote, broke his silence, as it was put, by giving an interview to Project Camelot under the pseudonym Henry Deacon. He knew that something like 9-11 was going to happen well before it did, that a war between the U.S. and China was on schedule for late 2008 that had been in the works for 10 years, funded by drug smuggling. He also said that high-energy lasers being used at Livermore Labs as part of Project Shiva Nova can cause ruptures in space-time and through these ruptures, nasty entities from other dimensions have come through into our world. And some alien species are out there trying to help us contain these beasties, while others are trying to exploit the situation for their own benefit. Also, sometimes the lasers cause time loops. Interestingly, he says, all talk of the Philadelphia experiment is nonsense. This is the real story. But yes, he also says there are stable portals to secret bases on Mars as well as to other star systems, probably Alpha Centauri. He himself went to Mars several times, partly to act with an intelligent species that lives underground there, though it's unclear as to whether or not they're indigenous to Mars or colonized it. Here on Earth, there have been numerous incidents with aliens and alien craft, including during the Vietnam War. He mentioned that a fairly obscure science fiction film from 1983 called Wavelength, written and directed by Mike Gray, who helped write The China Syndrome, and who would go on to write the TV series adaptation of Starman, as well as quite a few episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, is pretty much a true story. So check out the movie Wavelength if you want to know something about what's really going on. The real truth, he says, is so complicated, no one can keep it straight. There are aliens from other planets, some working for us, some working against us. There are time loops, and there are time loops inside of time loops. There are transdimensional beings. There are bubble universes, which can be created and manipulated, but also sometimes that naturally arise. Even our own ancestors are involved in this fight for control of our world. That some of the aliens we keep meeting are in fact humans from our past who have been recruited into a struggle that spans millennia. And here, of course, on Earth, many nations are privy to all of this, getting access to alien and future technology and conducting their own secret wars, including an ongoing weather war that has been happening for decades. Interesting, during the interview with Project Camelot, he was asked whether Dan Burrish, another supposed whistleblower on all this, was someone to be believed. Neumann said he'd never heard of this person, but then a short while later, he got in contact again with Project Camelot and said he did some digging, and yes, Burrish is 100% telling the truth, and people should listen to him if they want to understand what's really going on. You're my, You're best, my best friend. friend. 
1975 song by Queen. Dan Burrich is a microbiologist who worked at Area 51, supposedly. His real name is Danny Crane, with a C, from the city of Linwood in Los Angeles County. Of course, he was a precocious child, interested in the sciences from a very young age. One afternoon in 1973, when he was eight, he was with his grandfather at Mayboyer Park. He found himself frozen, unable to move at all, and sort of zoned out. And when he could once again move and think, his grandfather and he were sitting underneath a tree, seemingly in shock. The two had not returned home for dinner, so Dan's mother came to find them, and they were sitting under that tree in a daze. She snapped them out of it, and Dan started talking about a huge black kite he'd seen in the sky. This was a seminal moment for Dan. You see, as he would learn later while working in the S-4 sector at Area 51, he and his grandfather had been abducted by aliens that day, and Dan had been given an intellectual boost using sophisticated alien technology and medical knowledge to prepare him for later work with the U.S. government. He went on to distinguish himself in science and medicine, and at 15 years old became the youngest member ever of the Los Angeles Microscopial Society. This led to contacts with serious scientists, which led to jobs, which led to being recruited by the Navy. Little did he know that he would be working for the top-secret group Majestic 12 at a place codenamed Dreamland, better known to us today as Area 51. During Operation Desert Storm, he did biowarfare work in the Iraqi desert for which he received a field commission rising to the rank of captain and the title of Biowarfare Expert II. He then went on to Las Vegas where he worked as a parole officer, which was a cover job, analyzing soil and biological samples in his spare time, which was his real job. Eventually, he was given other things to examine, things that were not made on Earth. And finally, he was brought into the fold. Yes, off-world aliens were real and hanging around Dreamland, or Area 51. He met them and formed a deep friendship with one from Zeta Reticuli, known there as J-Rod. They would hang out together in a special chamber J-Rod lived in because J-Rod had a degenerative disease, and Dan had to wear a suit to protect him from alien microbes. But that didn't matter because they communicated mainly telepathically. They became quite close, and J-Rod one day revealed his real name to Dan, and that name was Ka'el'a, and he explained that the term J-Rod actually refers to his species and not to him as an individual. In top-secret government records, J-Rod was described as E-B, or E-B-E, which meant extraterrestrial biological entity, and many of the people working in Sector 4 used less flattering terms for him, like Stumpy and Bright Eyes. Only Dan treated J-Rod, or K-E-L-A, with anything like respect. One day, J-Rod beamed a series of startling images and tidbits of information into Dan's mind that shortly after the year 2012, something would happen to the human genome and humanity would split into two distinct species. One would become the J-Rods, what we would call the classic gray alien, and the other would become the tall Nordic-looking type aliens that have been talked about in previous episodes. This Nordic variety would invent time travel and go back into the past to become the gods of Sumeria, the Anunnaki, and there they would create the species of Homo sapiens sapiens, who of course would later turn into themselves. Now the J-Rod variants also travel back in time, with ancient sightings of them morphing into tales of angels and devils. So some of these supposed aliens we keep encountering are actually ourselves, and because time is both circular and spiral in nature, they are our future selves as well as our past selves. How can this be? Well, that is something the J-Rods and the Nordics and many other alien races would very much like to try and understand and are spending a huge amount of time and effort studying. Are there multiple versions of reality sort of stacked next to each other? If so, can they be communicated with or can we move between them? Is the universe a multiverse structured like a hologram? If so, then what is God? Yes, God, because the aliens who are us are very much interested in spirituality. Interestingly, most J-Rods have the same degenerative disease that Ka'el'a has, and Dan worked furiously to try and cure his friend. 
Because Dan was so smart and had been enhanced even further by alien slash future tech, he was able to discover what he called the Ganesh particle, a subatomic particle that creates life out of nothing. He found it while doing some research in another dimension, but brought it back through to our own. Dan, however, is worried because this could allow humans to live forever, but we are still not mature enough to be given such a gift, and we have not yet split into the gray alien J-Rods and the Nordics. So, he and a few others who know about all of this have been slowly working behind the scenes to reveal all of these secrets. For those in control still wish to live in the shadows and only the light of truth can expose them and help humanity fulfill our destiny or some new age crap like that. This Ganesh particle also opens up what we might term wormholes in space and time when exposed to certain electromagnetic frequencies. These are the stargates that allow teleportation and time travel. There are manufactured ones made by our future selves slash ancestors, but also there are sometimes naturally occurring ones. Most of them are in Iraq, which is why the U.S. invaded that country in 2003 to stop Saddam Hussein from activating them. This was talked about in one of our very earliest episodes of this podcast. So Dan wants to expose all of this and especially wants to tell Congress. He's been working with Bob Lazar, a physicist who also worked at Area 51, and others to make this all public. But Majestic 12, the secret, secret government organization that controls all this, is very powerful and doing whatever they can to discredit these well-meaning whistleblowers. This incredible, far, far out tale is what Project Pegasus chrononaut Arthur Neumann told Project Camelot is actually 100% true. Which is great, except that Majestic 12 was totally made up by Stanton Freeman and Bill Moore based on an idea for a novel series. Bob Lazar is not a physicist, and the only contact he ever maybe had with Area 51 was driving a food supplies truck to and from the base. Lazar is also a fireworks nut who keeps getting in legal trouble for smuggling high-grade chemicals and explosives across state lines, and is also a convicted pimp. Danny Crane, a.k.a. Danny Burrich, also seems to be something of a scammer. He and his wife, Deborah, are often in trouble for not paying rent and have filed for bankruptcy a couple of times. When they met, Danny was her parole officer. You know, his cover job. Apparently, she'd fallen afoul of some drug charges. Then she worked as a PBX operator at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas for many years. And there's a pretty long trail of evidence on how the two of them are basically low-level criminals. That Danny Crane was, in fact, just a parole officer, met this woman, and then the two of them went off on this really, really sort of half-assed Bonnie and Clyde kick. But they spice it up with conspiracy tropes, him inventing all of this Project Pegasus business, and she also claims to work for Majestic 12. However, listening to all of this evidence listed out would be just boring, and so instead you are directed to the episode notes if you really want to find out what's going on there. A lot of this Burrich slash Crane BS got disseminated via the Project Camelot website, which has been a clearinghouse for a lot of the supposed Project Pegasus revelations about Mars and teleportation and time travel. And so, what is Project Camelot? Camelot! 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 It's only a model. Yes, Monty Python reference. Project Camelot is a website started by Carrie Cassidy and Bill Ryan. She used to write screenplays and pitch projects as an independent producer, but never really got anything made. She moved to the UK and met Bill Ryan in 2005, who was a former Scientologist. They started up a thang, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and lived together at the Camelot Castle Hotel in the tiny Cornish town of Tintagel, an area rife with King Arthur legends. There's even a Merlin's Cave in the area. They talked a lot and conceived of Project Camelot, taking the name from the hotel. Cassidy, I guess, had a decent inheritance and used this to kickstart the project, which would be a series of interviews with people who knew secret things, especially former military or government employees. 
She likes to say she pioneered the, quote, gorilla style of interviewing, though most of her videos feature her in close-up asking very long, convoluted questions and sometimes just monologuing to the camera. Seems more grandiose than gorilla. Together, she and Ryan pumped out a ton of videos, sticking them up on YouTube. And like woo-woo disseminator Art Bell before them, she and Ryan seem to believe literally anything anyone tells them, even though mostly what they, quote, reveal is a mishmash of old conspiracy tropes and elements. One thing they both fell for hook, line, and sinker was that Project Serpo nonsense talked about at length in a previous episode and started by some of the people who also made up the Majestic 12 papers. Basically, they said there was a secret government program teleporting people from Earth to Serpo, the home planet of the gray aliens, in the Zeta Reticuli star system. They bought into this so much that Ryan was actually the webmaster for the Project Serpo website for a while. The Pendragon Plot. In 2013, Carrie Cassidy, working for Project Camelot, went to Vacaville Prison to interview Mark Richards. Back in 1982, Richards had a home remodeling business and was working at the home of Richard Baldwin, who ran an auto restoration shop in Marin County, north of San Francisco in California. Richards and two accomplices told Baldwin that they wanted to check out some of his vintage cars at the garage. So he invited them over, and then when they got there, they hit him in the head with a baseball bat three times and then stabbed him with a screwdriver and then a knife, killing him. They stole money hidden on the premises and in Baldwin's home. They'd taken his keys, and they grabbed his credit cards, going on a wild buying spree, purchasing all sorts of goodies for themselves, including a boat. They used that boat to ferry Baldwin's body out into San Pablo Bay, where they dumped it in the water. Eventually, Richards was caught and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Police went to Richards' home and found boxes and boxes of maps, documents, and a manifesto. The papers included plans for a giant laser gun, detailed instructions on how to build your own machine guns, aerial photos and maps of Marin County, and plans for, quote, a new form of government. Apparently, Richards had planned on taking over all of Marin County, turning it into a postmodern version of Camelot and King Arthur's court that he called Pendragon. He, of course, would be king of Marin, or Pendragon, and he and his group would isolate Marin County by destroying the Golden Gate Bridge and the Richmond San Rafael Bridge, and then put a giant laser on top of Mount Tamalpais, which would be used to destroy anyone who tried to invade the new Camelot. When all this came out, his lawyer said, oh, this was just research for a science fiction book Richards had been working on, titled Imperial Marin. But prosecutors said it was all an elaborate hoax designed to fool one of Richards' employees who participated in the murder of Baldwin. Because, you see, Richards had promised to make him Duke of Angel Island. Well, hey, here's a guy who has something of a King Arthur fetish, and here's Carrie Cassidy with her Project Camelot. So naturally, she had to interview him. Richards told her he'd been framed and that he'd been part of the secret space program. You see, Richards was so special that he had been tapped for active duty in the military when he was only 13 years old. In Vietnam, he'd flown helicopters and rose to the rank of captain in the Navy. He then became a Rhodes Scholar and got several high-level university degrees and also became one of the top people in the RNC. And then he went to space. In 1979, he commanded a starship called the Orion, stationed out of the asteroid Vesta. He'd been involved in numerous space battles against the reptilians and also led the charge in an attack on Dulce Base in New Mexico, trying to win it back from the reptiles who'd been conducting experiments on humans that broke the secret treaty they had with the U.S. government that had been signed by Eisenhower back in the late 50s. But it was all for naught since the wily reptilians ended up taking over large chunks of the American government, and then they framed him for that murder in Marin County. The best thing about these interviews Cassie conducted is that, since she was not allowed to bring any sort of recording equipment in, the videos she made are actually entirely of her looking at the camera, trying to remember what Richards told her. They're kind of funny and also kind of sad. So Project Camelot was chugging along and then Cassie ran out of money. 
Suddenly, she was being targeted, she said, for censorship, and now her endeavors would have to go to a subscription model. Please pony up, folks, if you want to hear the truth about what's really going on. She also tried crowdfunding, but fell far short of her projected targets. She and Ryan got speaking engagements at woo-woo conferences, ironically working much harder than people with real jobs would, and sort of burning out in the process. In 2015, she started saying that the government was trying to kill her with, quote, a scalar weapon formation sent by the dark side, whatever that means, and in an effort to scare people into giving her money, started telling followers that they too might be targets. She suggested a number of protections, like keeping magnets in your pockets, which would alter your DNA enough that you would become invisible to scalar weapons, carrying around rock salt to clear your energies, strengthening your immunity with a special plant powder, as well as miracle mineral supplement, and drinking colloidal silver, as well as wearing necklaces that could protect you from EMF attacks. Interestingly, all of these items that she says will protect you are sold via the Project Camelot website. She also said that the movie The Matrix was actually 100% true and people should consider it a documentary. She said the 2017 California wildfires were part of an Illuminati plot against trees, I guess, and started seeing false flag operations everywhere. Sandy Hook, Charlie Hebdo, the Las Vegas shooting, and the 2018 Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. For that one, she interviewed fellow conspiracy theorist James Fetzer, who agreed it was all a false flag, that no one had actually died, and all the people you saw on TV were crisis actors. Someone didn't like this video and flagged it, and then YouTube pulled it. And so Cassidy said YouTube had clearly been taken over by the Illuminati and black magicians. Then she started saying 5G towers caused COVID-19 and YouTube nailed her for good. She continues to make videos and sell access to them, giving talks for which she charges money. And she also charges fees for live streaming the talks if you can't make it in person. And she wrote a book in 2020 called Rebel Gene, Secret Space and the Future of Humanity, which details all the secret space program fantasies she has heard over the years. And so, talk of things like Project Pegasus lives on, and more and more people come out of the shadows to blow the whistle on the whole affair, and more and more websites start spinning their own fantastical tales. If I had a time machine, that would be fresh. A 2006 song by MC Lars. Today, there's quite a large ecosystem of Project Pegasus and what's known as Secret Space Program stuff, with several folks getting in on the action. Like Corey Good, who says he was tested by government agents when he was six years old, found to be an IE, that's an intuitive empath, and recruited by a MELAB, which stands for Military Abduction, for black ops projects, including Project Pegasus and Secret Secret Stuff on Mars, which he did from the mid 70s to the mid 80s. He also pushes the Majestic 12 narrative and says he's been dealing with aliens that look like humanoid birds that he calls blue avians. And then there's this whole super complicated UFO new agey sort of mythology that he's built up, which will probably get its own episode one day. Or there's Robert Dean, a retired army sergeant major turned ufologist in Arizona. He says his top, top secret clearance, which he was allowed to keep even after retiring from the army, gave him access to all sorts of crazy information. Like that 200,000 years ago, a group of aliens came to our planet and re-engineered our species, creating Homo sapiens sapiens. He also said there are facilities on Mars, including a spaceport on the equator and a city underground named Phobos 2, about the same size as Chicago. In fact, it looks exactly like Chicago. It has the same street layout and everything. Tony Rodriguez says when he was nine years old back in 1981, he was tapped for a 20 and back project after he had embarrassed a fellow fourth grader whose father was a high-ranking Illuminati member. Shortly after the school incident, young Rodriguez was abducted by a group of aliens working with the U.S. government. The aliens genetically tested him and found him to be useful in some of their secret projects. He was forced to use psychic abilities that they helped him develop to assist a drug smuggling operation in Peru. This went on for four years. He was then relocated to Seattle where he was a sex slave. This went on for three years. Then in 1988, when he was 16, he was sent to the moon for more testing at a secret base there and then to Mars, where he was a slave fighter 
protecting U.S. bases against the native Martians. Then he was shipped off to Ceres, where he worked on a German space freighter that was part of the Dark Fleet. This is a secret space fleet built by the Nazis during World War II and which still exists. He had a lot of first-hand information about human super soldiers around Ceres and an ongoing series of space battles that take place now and in our future all through the solar system. Elena Kopolnik says she was first abducted by reptilians when she was two years old. She wins, I guess. And when she was 10, they altered her DNA so that she could live on Mars. She grew up on the Red Planet and was eventually employed by Monarch Solutions, a company that trained her in how to focus her psychic abilities to open up wormholes. Monarch, you see, clones bodies and then transfers human consciousness into them. This allows them to control the body since the person's mind is in the cloned body, but their soul is trapped in the original one. That doesn't transfer. She then worked on a time leap program. She says it's almost exactly like what you see in the TV show Quantum Leap, but controlled. And she says the Netflix series Altered Carbon actually has a lot of fact in it, though she seems unaware that that is based on a series of novels by Richard K. Morgan. The Interplanetary Corporate Conglomerate, or ICC, she says, uses cloning tech to extend high-ranking people's lives and create slaves for work and warfare in space. They have built 11 Mars bases where they conduct all kinds of experiments and space stations based on designs by Werner von Braun. The ICC is made up of a bunch of Earth-based companies including Allianz, Astro und Feinwerktechnik Autoshof, Bayer, Boeing, Douglas, ExxonMobil, General Dynamics, Lockheed, NASA JBL, Northrop Grumman, and the car company TRW. William Tompkins is a black project contractor who works on super secret stuff for the government and companies like Douglas, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and North American Aviation. He would often be given projects he had no idea how to complete, but then after he settled into a meditative trance, the solution would be sent to him telepathically, probably, he thinks, by aliens. Michael Sala over at exopolitics.org, who has been talked about in the past, has been very busy on the SSP or secret space program front, expanding the mythology, tying in myths of giant beings who once walked our planet's surface and other psychoarchaeology stuff. It's not all in space either. In October 2002, Sala wrote about an expedition to the ant people who live underground somewhere beneath Florida and how the ant people were angry that a gift they'd given the Americans, seeds for a tree that can create water and restore health and youth, had been handed over to the European Union, which went counter to the ant people's wishes. As a result, they refused the team access to a sarcophagus that contains a sleeping giant that they are caretakers of. And there's more. A space ark crashed and sank beneath the Atlantic Ocean, of course, in the Bermuda Triangle region. And when William Shatner went up into space on Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin space shuttle in October 2021, that was actually a cover story because the Canadian actor was actually involved in negotiations with aliens near Ganymede moon around Jupiter. You see, the aliens trust him because he played Captain Kirk in Star Trek, and apparently the aliens don't really have fiction, so they think he is Captain Kirk, which sounds an awful lot like that movie Galaxy Quest. Oh, by the way, there are also alien beings who live in physical bodies, alien beings who are from other dimensions, alien beings who are actually future forms of us humans traveling back and forth in time, alien beings who have no bodies at all, per se, an intergalactic federation kind of made up of all of these, and some races are friendly towards humans and some are not, and the whole thing is good for hours and hours and hours of reading if this is your bag. And again, I have to wonder why Sala doesn't just write a science fiction book series. And then there are people who warn that all this Mars jump room technology and time travel stuff is actually all a complicated CIA psych ops program. All these whistleblowers totally believe they're telling the truth and that they had the experiences they say they did, 
but it's not actually true at all. It's been an elaborate hoax to test their reactions to such outlandish revelations. An interesting idea, but the sheer scale of such an endeavor would make that seem pretty unlikely. I mean, surely there are easier ways to see how people react to surprising information than all of this. On the other hand, it's really not that expensive to pull off. Let's just see if we can sum up the shape of Project Pegasus. In our future, humans, who were created by aliens 200,000 years ago, split into two species, one that looks like what we today call the gray aliens, which are actually called J-rods, and one that looks like the Nordic aliens, which look like Swedish actor Alexander Skarsgård. These future selves can travel around in space and also in time, went back to the 20th century to set things up to ensure that the human race will make this evolutionary split and also seek to cure a degenerative disease that often develops in the J-Rod human variety. The J-Rods gave space-time portal technology to various Earth governments in the late 1960s and a series of bases were set up on Mars, but at different times, like maybe in the 22nd century or something. Other aliens in the galaxy also set up bases on Mars and there were already beings living there and so of course conflict ensued. This conflict ranges across time and maybe even alternate versions of our own universe slash timeline. Sometimes battles occur in pocket or bubble universes that only exist temporarily. Current-day humans are recruited into the war for a 20-year tour, and at the end of that tour, they have their memories obscured and are sent back to the time they originally came from. There are whole civilizations in our solar system and obviously beyond, but this is kept from the general public. Some companies and individuals, however, are in on the secret and profit handsomely. There's a lot of tech and influence to be had, and some are perhaps less scrupulous than others. These employ mind control techniques and create slaves to be soldiers or workers or whatever they need. Sometimes a cloned body is created and the person's mind is transferred to it. Some aliens think this is the way the thing should be, that might does equal right, and so they help these not-so-nice humans, while other aliens are morally opposed to all of this and cause problems. Thus, there is more conflict and not always of the pew-pew-pew variety. In the meantime, there's a whole galactic federation out there and they're considering whether to let us homo sapiens sapiens in, which causes more conflict because not all the member species want that to happen. But one thing the aliens all seem to be able to agree on is that William Shatner is who they want to have negotiations with. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.